When I began Beis Medrash as a young fellow, I was 19 years of age, and I entered Chavetz Chaim Yeshiva, which is a Musa Yeshiva, and I was very idealistic. I had many, many goals, certainly learning, dominating Midos, and because, again, it was a Musa Yeshiva, there was a real curriculum and a real approach to Midos, and I knew that one day I would be a very well-worked-out person. Anger, gone. Arrogance, forget about it. Jealousy, not a factor. Desire, not on my watch. Now, I was much aware that it was a major undertaking, but I had the Torah, I had the Musasvarim, I was in Yeshiva, and more than anything, I had time. I was young, and I knew that I had a lifetime in front of me. Obviously, it wasn't going to be overnight. It was going to be a tremendous endeavor, but I had my plan, I had my approach, and I had the time in which to do it. And to be honest with you, I was not lazy. I was very focused and very driven. If you go to the Shmuz site or to the Shmuz app, you could see many, many series on different issues. And if you go through them, you'll see I spent an awful lot of time working on many, many of the issues, whether it be arrogance, whether it be anger, whether it be desire, whether it be learning, dominating, the whole gamut of activities that we, as from Jews, are supposed to be working on. And I spent a tremendous amount of energy on each area. All was good. I set out on my path, and I was heading along that way. A little while ago, I came to a rather rude awakening. And that is because I've been at this process for a while now. I did the math, and I realized that I've been working at this process for over 40 years. When I started, I was a very young fellow. I went through life, and I remained focused I remain diligent, and I now find myself decades later, and one day I came to the realization that, gee golly, how far did I get? Am I really anywhere near where I dreamt of being? Am I even within miles and miles of what I assumed I would be like? And the answer is no. Did I grow somewhat in some areas, but if I take the version of what I knew I would be, and I compare myself now to it, not even within the same league. But again, here's the unusual part about it. I was very focused, very diligent, not lazy. I had an approach, I had a program, and I stuck to it. And at a certain point, this realization came crashing down on me, And it really brought me to a moment, and more than a moment, of very real reflection. Because the moment of reflection focuses on one single issue. What happens when I die? My body is put in the ground, and I separate. I, the one inside, I, the one who thinks, I, the one who feels. But it's not my distant cousin, not my alter ego, not my neshama, that goes to the world to come, it's me. The one inside, the one who thinks, the one who feels, my body is the coat that I wear, the body's put in the ground, I separate, and there I am for eternity. But you see, when you understand what it's like, it's a rather, rather eye-opening moment. Let me give you an example. As a high school Rebbe, I once had a fellow my shir who said to me as follows, Rebbe, 
Is it true that the world to come, the tzaddikim sit around with crowns on their heads and learn Torah all day? I said to him, well, that's one way to envision it. He thinks for a moment and he says, that's not Ganadin, that's Gehenim. Now, where he was coming from as a teenager, learning was not the single greatest pleasurable activity in his life. And the thought of doing that all day long was anything but pleasurable, quite the opposite. But you see, the mistake that he made was assuming that he now will be the same as he is then. Part of him will be the same, but there are a number of things that change. You see, when my body's put in the ground and I separate instantly, my currency changes dramatically and radically. Everything that was so important to me in this world now is valueless and silly. Everything that I pursued, honor, money, whatever it may be, things that mattered so much to me here mean nothing to me. It's a very simple observation. No matter who you are, no matter how worked out you are, there are things that we value in this world. The Powerball is now at $1.9 billion. Imagine you win it. Oh my goodness, $1.9 billion. Wow, I don't care who you are. You're going to feel great joy. You're going to feel extreme sense of, wow, that's incredible. Why? Because money is important. Money can change your life. It may not be the thing we pursue. It may not be the most important. But gee golly, $1.9 billion is a mighty fine sum of money, and it would make me extraordinarily happy. All the money that money can buy is going to mean nothing to me there because there's nothing to buy. My body's in the ground, and for eternity I am what I shape myself into. But you see, all of the things that were so important to me now mean nothing to me then. The first thing that changes radically and completely is my currency, and what I value, what I consider important. And believe me, that fellow in my high school shear. And when he leaves this earth, every mitzvah that he did will be valuable to him beyond anything he can imagine. Every word of Torah that he learned is his kinyan, his acquisition for eternity, and the value that he'll then place on it, and the importance that it'll have to him then, and the joy that it will bring him then is far greater than winning the Powerball today. So in that sense, my value system changes, and my currency changes. Another thing that changes is all of the physical sensations that affect me now no longer affect me. No longer do I get hungry. No longer do I get bored and restless. No longer do I get tired, fatigued. No longer do I get cranky. You see, those are sensations brought to me in the current situation as long as I occupy this body. But they're brought to me by the body. So imagine for a minute you're having a moment of real, real spiritual enjoyment, whether it's learning or davening, whatever it may be, and imagine that that lasts forever. You see, it doesn't change, it doesn't get old, it doesn't, we've done this already, this has come on, it's boring already. And those are all changing, passing sensations of being in a physical reality. But when my body's put in the ground, there is no body. The body is there, I separate no longer do I have eyes, no longer do I have ears, no longer do I have arms or legs. So none of the physical sensations impact me. I'm no longer hungry, tired, cranky, bored, whatever, and I'm not restless. And things don't get old. 
We've done this already. We did this before. This is boring. All of those things are realities of a physical experience. But when I separate, no longer do they impact me. So my currency changes dramatically. And the physical sensations no longer impact me, but I am what I shape myself into. All of my thoughts, all of my decisions, all of my actions, all of my conversations shape me into who I am. And when my body's put in the ground, I leave. But I leave exactly as I shape myself into. And if you like a muscle, back in the 1980s, word processors first began coming to the scene. And if you remember what they looked like, they were quite bulky and quite cumbersome. And they weren't that easy to use. If you're using a word processor, basically you're going to be typing over here, and the screen is going to show you what you've been typing. So if you wanted to underline a word, you put an open bracket, a U, and a closed bracket. That's what you would see on the screen, and that would signal the printer, the one who was printing that page, to underline that word. If you wanted to bold a word, open bracket B, closed bracket. And again, that's what you'd see on the screen. And the printer would recognize that as a signal to bold those words. In the late 80s, technology evolved, and now what came to market was something called WYSIWYG. WYSIWYG is an acronym for what you see is what you get. So now when you open Microsoft Word, if you want to bold a word, you click the B, and on the screen it's bolded. What you see on the screen is exactly what you're going to get in the printer. You want to underline a word, you click the U, and on the screen it's underlined. What you see on the screen is what you get. WYSIWYG is an acronym for what you see is what you get. And I believe that's an apt parable for what it's like when I leave this earth. My body's put in the ground, I separate, and I am exactly what I shape myself into. Granted, I no longer have the desires for my body. And granted, the restlessness, the boredom, and the chafing of the body no longer impact me. But I am everything that I thought about, everything that I worked on, everything that I did shaped me, molds me, and that's who I am for eternity. What you see is what you get. And what that means in plain, simple language is, if you have a temper, that's going to be part of you in the world to come. <clears throat> if you have laziness, that's a part of you in the world to come. If you have arrogance, it's a part of you in the world to come. But I don't have a body. <clears throat> How am I going to be lazy? Laziness comes from the body. It's a heaviness. Afri is a homri is gas. Mr. explains to us that it's a heaviness of physicality that makes me sluggish and slow. I don't have a body. The malachim are angels running back and forth as fast as, <clears throat> as lightning. That's true. But if you act like a lazy person day after day, week after week, month after month, you put it into the nature of you. Even though your body is no longer pulling you that way, it becomes a part of you. So to desire. You desire things you're not supposed to desire. You think about it, you lust, you desire, you lust, you lust. It becomes a part of you. You no longer have a body. Your body's in the ground. But you still have images, you still have desires for things that are physically impossible because you've separated from your body. And all of the things that you work on or don't work on become a part of you for eternity. What you see is what you get. If you're a jealous person, that's what you're thinking about, and that's what becomes a part of you. And that means you leave this earth, and for eternity, you're jealous. For eternity, you're arrogant. Or for eternity, 
you're whatever you shape yourself into. And while that is a very eye-opening concept, it left me with a very real emotional problem. Because I wasn't lazy, and I worked very hard, and I looked at myself a little while back and I said, oh my goodness, is this it? Is this where I'm going to be? This is not a very pretty picture. But I wasn't a lazy guy, and I wasn't just wasting my time. I wasn't pursuing honor and wealth. I was really, really focused. And it sure doesn't seem right. And the Derech Hashem explains to us that there's one more part to the picture that changes the entire reality of it. So let's begin with a very quick recap of last session. We discussed the fact that the world as it is today is very different than the way Hashem originally planned it. Plan A was to create Adam, put him in Gan Eden, and give him an equal, balanced, free choice. Hashem is the mate of Hashem is the giver. Hashem created everything in creation for one reason, to give of His good with man. The ultimate good is to be close to Hashem, and to be dovic, to cling to Hashem, to bask in Hashem's glory, but that has to be earned. Hashem created Adam Arishon, put him in Gan Eden, and gave him the exact opportunity to become great, greater than the angels, or the opposite, but it was an absolutely perfect equilibrium. And he was supposed to choose, and the choices that he would make would be for him, for him, with him, for eternity, but it wasn't a major gargantuan task. <clears throat> a few choices, a few decisions, <clears throat> choose properly and become perfect, set the path, and that's your path for eternity. And Odom Arishan was supposed to live for e- forever in Gan Eden, growing and growing, becoming closer and closer to Hashem. But plan A is not the world we live in. Plan B is the world we live in now. Because when Hashem created Adam, Hashem gave man free choice. Free choice means you could go this way or you could go that way. But it wasn't just free choice about his own destiny. When Hashem created Adam, Hashem said to Adam, you are the center of reality. You are the center of the world. You are the pivot point of the world. The reason that Hashem created everything was for man, and everything is dependent on man. Says Hashem to man, if you use the world appropriately, it will grow, it will flourish. If you misuse it, it will be destroyed, because everything in the physical world is dependent on the spiritual world. And everything in the spiritual world is dependent on Adam. Use this world right You'll give nourishment, you give energy, you'll give empowerment to the spiritual world that will empower the physical world, and the world will be elevated and will be great. When Adam sinned, he didn't just change his own reality, he changed the reality of existence. And after the sin, everything became different. Now again, we discussed the fact that plan B was really what Hashem wanted, because plan B is a much more livable solution. Plan A is beautiful. Give man the opportunity, and in a few strokes, a few choices, he becomes great forever. But the problem is one slip, and it's over. And the proof in the pudding is that Adam slipped once, and he destroyed his life, destroyed the world. And what Hashem was letting everyone know was that opportunity might be great for a few select tzaddikim. There might be a few out of the millions, maybe a few, who would make it, But for the vast majority of the human race, it would be very bleak and very bitter. Because if you choose wrong, there's no shoulder to the road. In a perfect world, 
there's no giving excuses. Hashem is perfection. And Hashem, as a perfect creator, can do nothing but create a perfect world. But the problem with the perfect world is there's no room for slippage, no room for mistakes, no room for error. One slip, and you're held absolutely accountable, absolutely responsible, and the proof in the pudding is man slipped once, and he destroyed himself, destroyed the world, and the world would not have much of a kiyom and much of an establishment that way. Therefore, Hashem really wanted to create plan B, which is the world we live in now, the world we live in is very, very different. There's a lot of darkness, a lot of confusion. It's very, very difficult to do what's right. But because of that, there's a lot of shoulder to the road. There's a lot of room for, listen, he didn't realize, he didn't understand, and more than anything, there's a concept called tshuva. In this plan B, many, many, if not most people could make it, and certainly we've seen throughout the generations, vast numbers of people have become tremendous and become great, Okay, they weren't perfect, but they grew, they accomplished, they slipped, they got back up, slipped, got back up, but they reached greatness. And plan B is a much more workable plan, and plan B is much more tenable for mankind. But again, Shem created Adam in plan A, allowed him to be the one to mess it up, and then plan B was put into place because a perfect creator cannot create an imperfect plan. But according to plan A, the world we live in now would not be. Number one, the concept of pain, suffering, was not part of the plan. Adam was in Gan Eden, the perfect environment, all of his needs ready, everything at his beck and call. There was no illness, no disease, no sorrows, no worries, no troubles, no daggers, nothing. He had Malachim at his beck and call to serve him. All he had to do was choose right. And in a sense, it looks very, very inviting but again, the costs are too great, and Hashem and His great wisdom understand that it's not the best way. Number one, in Adam's world, there was no pain, no suffering, no setbacks, no calamities, no catastrophes, no depression, no anxiety, none of what we live with as reality. There was also no work. If you work six hours, eight hours, ten hours a day, no one understands, for Adam Rishon, that did not apply. Food, totally ripe, ready to pick on the tree, totally, perfectly assimilated into his body. Everything that we have as our reality was not part of his reality, and certainly not this entity called death. He was put into Gan Eden to live forever, few choices, grow, and be there for eternity. But when Adam sinned, he changed the world, and now the world we live in is vastly, vastly different. We live in a world where it's very, very difficult to serve Hashem. Very, very difficult to choose what's right. There's a lot of pain, a lot of suffering, a lot of work. And then there's death. But the Derech Hashem explains to us that it's all part of the plan and all part of the process. After Adam sinned, Hashem said, now we're going to plan B. And in plan B, there are three stages there's this world, there's Olam HaNeshamos, and there's Trias HaMesim. This world is our current existence. In my body, I'm having this temporary physical experience. I am the spiritual entity having this physical experience. But this experience is very, very powerful and very real. It's very dark and very confusing, very, very difficult to do what's right. This is the gym. 
I was put here to grow, to accomplish, to change the essence of me. But it is a major, major and difficult challenge. When I'm done my job here, my body's put in the ground, and then I go to Olam HaNashamos. <laughs> Olam HaNashamos, as Derek Hashem explains to us, is almost like what you call a holding pen. It's a place where the Neshamas stay <clears throat> for a certain amount of time. It's incredibly enjoyable. It's incredibly <clears throat> beautiful. You're close to Hashem, a pure spiritual entity without any physical distractions and pulls and worries and troubles. Pure peace and <clears throat> pure basking in Hashem's glory. And whatever level you reach, that's what you enjoy. And you stay there for a certain amount of time. And it is a very wonderful and very beautiful time. But then there's another stage called Tchiyas HaMesim. And Tchiyas HaMesim is when the Neshama is put back into a body, not like a body that we currently occupy, but a body much closer to Adam Arishan before the sin. Remember, Adam Arishan before the sin could totally change every part of him. He was wearing the costume of the bear. He wasn't swallowed up inside the bear. He didn't have the urges and needs and desires and constant confusion. He was wearing the bear skin, and with that bear skin, he could totally, completely change the essence of him. Much like if I wanted to change me, I can't do it, he could. If he decided that there was a tad too much arrogance, he would change it. And tad too much laziness, change that. And too much of anger, change that. His nefesh Bahami, his animal soul was malleable, plastic. He could change it at will. When we're put back in Triyas back into a body, it's a body similar to Admiration before the sin, and we're put into Gan Eden in a place where we can grow and change, and the Neshama can do what it should do. I can change the body, reach perfection, and reach the level of greatness and enjoy Hashem's proximity for eternity. But it's three stages, three separate parts. This world, Olam HaShemos, and Tchiyas But each has a purpose. If you'd like to understand why it's so difficult to change anything in this world, it's because we are different than Adam Arishan. I was put into the bear's body. And much like we discussed, like a smoker, imagine a man smoked for 40 years. And Hashem says, I'm going to put you into his body. And I find myself in the body of that man. Suddenly I desire smoke. Ah, what do I smoke? I don't want to smoke, but I do. I need to smoke. I, I have nicotine needs. I wasn't put into a smoker's body. I was put into the body of a human being. But if you'd like to understand what it's like, imagine I was put into the body of a bear. And the bear has urges and needs. If you watch a bear in late August, early September, the bear is ravenous. The bear will put on 25% of its body weight and additional fat because it's got to store up that fat for the winter when it's going to hibernate for the next four months or so. But in that stage, the bear will eat for 20 hours a day. So imagine I find myself put into the body of a bear. I'm hungry. I need, I need, I need to eat. And I find myself near a garbage can. What are you doing? I need, I'm hungry. And I reach into the garbage can. What are you doing? What are you doing? What are you doing? What are you doing? I'm hungry. I need, I'm hungry. I'm constantly conflicted, constantly confused. Am I a bear? Am I a person? What do I do? What are you doing? Why are those claws? Get those claws. Okay, what are you That's what it's like being a human being. I was put into this body, and his body has urges and appetites and needs and desires, but I was put into it, put right into it, mixed in, confused, in this constant mix. 
And of course, change is very, very difficult. Because one moment I'm clear-headed and rational, and I completely understand why I'm here, what life is about, and the gravity and consequences of my actions. And therefore I say, let's go, let's grow, let's learn, let's dominate, let's accomplish, let's do. And the next minute, I'm gone. Whether it be desire, whether it be honor, whether it be whatever, and the bear takes over, and suddenly I have those appetites and urges and strange needs that only a human being can have. And I find myself ever confused, ever mixed up, ever in the sense of being drunk. And more than anything, the ability to change is very, very difficult. Because even if I set my course on working, and even if I set my course on perfecting myself, the nefesh Bahami, the animal soul of man, is not malleable. It can't be changed. Oh, could it be changed slowly, incrementally? Yes, after 20 years of work, really hard work, you change it a little bit. You can change behaviors. You can stop behaviors. And if you stop behaviors for a very, 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 very long time, slowly, slowly, you can train the animal soul. But it's a very, very difficult, long, uphill battle. It's not a snap of the fingers. And if you've ever tried to work on any area you'll understand it's not simple at all. I want to be generous, I want to be kind, I want to be forgiving and tolerant. So that's it, from now on, that's all I'm going to be. Generous, kind, forgiving and tolerant. (gasps) Except, and the problem is, I'm not. But I want to be, but I'm not. But I want to be. So change. I can change, but I want to change. I need to change, I have to change, but I can't do it. Good morning, America. That is the reality of being in a body, being inside with a Nefesh Bahami, and any change is very, very very difficult, and that is a function of Adam sin. But the Derech Hashem explains to us that it's not just that you can't change the Nefesh Bahami, it's not just that you're stuck with those desires and appetites, and they change so slowly and so, so, in such small increments, the Neshama can't do that which he was created to do. When Hashem created Adam Rishon, he took a brilliant Neshama, put it into the body, and said, go shape yourself, go make yourself. That's one of the powerful forces of the neshama. We recognize the neshama only in a very limited sense. It's the thinking part of me, maybe it's the life force within me, but the eye that thinks, the eye that feels, and made up of quite a number of other parts, and one of the real functions, one of the real purposes of the neshama is to change the nefesh bahami. It was given all the power, and it was given all the ability to change it. But when Adam sinned, he mixed the Adam up. He mixed the Neshama into Nefesh Bahami, and now the Neshama can't do its job. The Nefesh Bahami can't be changed. Again, very slowly, in tiny, tiny little increments, but the main job of the Neshama is to change, to transform the human into greatness, and it can't do its job. Nevertheless, explain to Derech Hashem, there's a certain reality. Here, I work, I do my job, do my best. When I leave this earth, my body's put in the ground, and I go to the Olam HaNeshamos. When my Neshama leaves, suddenly it can actualize everything that it should have been, but was held back from doing. And you see, the Neshama should have glown. 
a person here in this world as he learns, as he davens, as he works in chesed. He works in giving to others. He looks at other people and says, what can I do to help? That changes the essence of him. Now, even though his Nevesh Bahami is stuck, and even though he's not going to change, the Neshama changed, the Neshama grew. And the Neshama should be much greater. And the Neshama should be huge. But his Neshama was held in check, and the Nefesh Bahami was held in check. He was held where he was. But when the body's put in the ground, the Neshama is able to glow and become glorious, become illuminated to whatever level of greatness it should have been. But the Derech Hashem explains to us it's actually a very interesting process. Imagine that I'm here now in my body and working on a given area. Whether it be anger, whether it be jealousy, whether it be desire, whatever it may be. And I work on that area. I learn Musr about it. I try. I succeed. I fail. I succeed. I fail. I succeed. I fail. I can't change now. Why? Because the body prevents me. But the Neshama is doing its job. The Neshama is working hard. It can't change the desire. It can't change the laziness because it's innate, it's inborn, and it won't change. But the Neshama is exercising. And you can imagine that there's a shadow man forming. And the Neshama is becoming larger. It tries to change the body and it doesn't succeed, but it becomes larger. And imagine that there's a shadow man. Imagine, here's me, this little guy, but there's a shadow man, and the Neshama, as it exercises, as it does what it's supposed to, if I do chesed, if I do look out for another Jew, I look out to help, I try to give to others, what happens is the Neshama becomes bigger and bigger, not factually, not practically, but the shadow man begins forming, and the shadow man gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger as you grow, at least in theory. Now again, you're going to be the same person here, because the body's holding you back, but that shadow's huge, and then when the body's put in the ground, I leave, the Neshama leaves, and whoosh! I fill in that full size. Whatever greatness I should have been that was held back by the body, whenever the Neshama should have changed the body but couldn't, it would have glown, it would have been illuminated, it would have been huge, but it was held back. Whatever that shadow was, it now fills in, and in an instant it becomes far greater, far larger than it should have been. And what the Derech Hashem is explaining to us is a fundamental reality of the way Hashem created us. Today, as I am, I could work on jealousy, I could work on anger, and it's going to change in small, tiny increments. But I did the work, and it's not fair. That's right. But what happens when I leave? Wizzy wig, what you see is what you get. I mean, if I have a temper here, I'm going to have a temper there. Well, it really depends. If you worked on anger, and you learned to hold it back, and you succeeded but you failed, succeeded, and you really had a temper, nevertheless you're still an angry person, and nevertheless you're still, but you really worked, the shadow got bigger and bigger and bigger, and even though right now, as you are, your body still has that impact on you, and you still lose your temper, and you scream, and you yell, whatever it may be, when the body's put in the ground, it no longer stops you, that shadow is huge, and suddenly your neshama is whoosh, fills in the full size of what you would have been, what you should have been. And what that means is WYSIWYG is not so simple. What you see is what you get is true if you don't work on yourself. If you allow yourself to follow your desires and your laziness and whatever it is, just do whatever you want. Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we may die. And you live a gluttonous life, a hedonist life, just do whatever you want. You're right. What you see is what you get exactly the stage that you're in the moment before you die will be exactly the stage you're in after you die. The curtain comes down and you are the same person, lustful and petty, jealous and angry, 
and you'll be for eternity in that very, very imperfect, very uncomfortable state. But assuming that you worked on these areas, assuming you worked on jealousy, you worked on anger, you worked on desire, and you failed because you failed because the body stopped you, but you really put in the work. The shadow grew, and the shadow man became larger, shadow man became larger, and whatever area you worked on, became, the neshama became much larger in that area. When your body's put in the ground, the body no longer stops you, and suddenly whoosh, the neshama fills out that full shape of that huge shadow man, and for eternity, that's who you are. Because WYSIWYG is true if you're constantly thinking things that you shouldn't be thinking, constantly working the wrong way, constantly corrupting yourself. But if you're working in a Shama and really doing, using the system, the shadow man grows and the Shama becomes bigger and bigger. And when you leave for eternity, you are what you should have been. And to be honest with you, when I first learned this Derech Hashem a little while back, it was an incredible Nechama to me, an incredible perf- personal sense of relief and a personal sense of, again, just consolation. And because the reality is, if you're working hard and you're not growing, now you can fool yourself, maybe maybe I am, and maybe I could have worked much harder and I should have been. But there are certain areas I know for sure that I did work on and they haven't changed. And that's the moment when you say, I get it. Hashem is kind, Hashem is good, Hashem knows what He's doing, and Hashem put us in a position to grow, to change, but I can't grow, I can't change. I have no vocation in the heart, I can't feel things, I can't move the exactly. But if you're doing the exercise, if you're doing the work, if you're working on those areas, your neshama becomes greater and greater. And my friends, anyone who has worked on any area of life in any real way understands the huge frustration of trying to change and not be able to change. I've said this time and again, I'm very jealous of addicts because an addict reaches that point and he recognizes he needs to change and he recognizes he can't change. That's a reality that we all face, but typically we don't actually deal with it. But if you actually deal with it and you realize it's very, very hard to change, and you also recognize the second caveat, which is there's a shadow man forming. And as long as I do the work, as long as I learn Musr, as long as I use my time properly, I follow the Torah, I follow the mitzvahs, the system of spiritual self-perfection, the shadow man is growing, and it's true. I may still be factually the same person I was, but I'm not. It's the body that's holding me back, Nefesh Bahami that's preventing me, and when I leave this earth for eternity, I'm a vastly different person. And if you've ever worked on an area, and let's take an example, desire. There are many, many men, women, many people struggle with this in a very real way. And at a certain point you say, what is going on? I'm wasting so much time, so much energy, so much effort. Hashem, what did you have in mind here? And I'll give you an example. Rabbi Harris once asked a question, and I answered the question, and he said, I hear you. Rabbi Harris, now the Roshiva in Forest Hills, in Chavetz Chaim, Kigan Hills. I was a close Talmud, and he asked a question, I answered, I wish I could tell you it was a question on a Ksos or a Gemara, it wasn't, but it was a very interesting event that had happened. You see, there was a fellow in the yeshiva who learned morning Seder, learned the afternoon Seder, and at night would go to base of house of prostitutes. Rabbi Harris could not make heads of What's going? How could it be? How could it be? A guy's learning morning, say, learning after say, and he does it. And he does it and what's going on? 
happens to be I was a little older than this fellow, and I was a Talmud Chavar, and I told Rabbi Harris what was going on. You see, this fellow grew up in an out-of-town community, and it was a day school, and he had an eighth-grade teacher who took advantage of him, and he had a very different experience than most fellows coming into Yeshiva High School. He had an experience where his teacher would come to visit him, and it was a very, very difficult reality. And what would happen is, even though he gave that up as he got older, but he was racked with desires and needs and images that would constantly confuse him. He'd be sitting at a Tosa and be learning the Tosa, and suddenly the image would come in his brain, get out of here, and he'd go back to the Tosa, get out of here, come back, back and forth, back and forth. And he would work morning Seder, and after two hours he'd be exhausted because of constant constant battle, get out of my head, get... He would work morning Seder, come to Shear, work afternoon Seder, by 6.30 he was exhausted, the battle all day long, and he gave in, whatever. When I explained to Harris what was going on, Harris said, I understand, I hear it. But here's the observation. It doesn't seem fair. It doesn't seem right. Why was he put into that situation? Who needed that? His life was Gehenim. He suffered with desires that the normal person doesn't have. He suffered with constant needs that a normal felony shiva doesn't have, and obviously he couldn't grow, he couldn't accomplish, he couldn't become the great person he could have been. And he was stymied, he was held back and check. Hashem, it's not fair, it's not right. But when you understand life, you understand that that might be the greatest chesed that Hashem did for him. Why? Because that battle, the image coming into his head, and get out of here, the image coming back, get out of here, that fight, the standing up and fighting and falling down and getting up, that's the battle of his neshama against his nefesh Bahami. It was a fever-pitched battle. It was a type of battle that you and I, most people couldn't stand, but he fought it day after day, week after week, and that's the ultimate growth of the neshama. Fighting the fight, battling the battle, wanting and not wanting, needing and not needing, being inside this bear's body where the bear's body says, let's do this, and I say, no, yes, no, no, no. That battle is the exercise of the neshama. And if you'd like to know why he was set up for failure, uh-uh. he was not set up for failure. He was set up for greatness because the greatest growth is that challenge. The greatest growth is, growth is that victory. And even though you lose one minute, you win another minute, and you win and you win and you lose, you win, you win, and you lose. And even though it's true, you end up whatever, doing whatever you're not supposed to do, and you know you're not supposed to do it. The fight that you fought is your Kenyan, your acquisition for eternity. But I failed. I'm a failure. It is true. I did not change the body. And I didn't win every victory. But I wasn't slated to win every victory. That wasn't how the human being was set up. I was set up to fight, set up to battle, set up to fight that fight, and that's how Neshama grows and becomes bigger and bigger and bigger. And even though he remained the same, he might have had more desire than anybody else that you know. And he remained that way. The Neshama becomes greater and greater. When his body's put in the ground, he leaves and whoosh! He becomes this huge, huge giant because of all of that work and all of the Neshama exit, but he was the same, what do you mean? He was into Taiva when he was, a, yeah, that was the body, but he changed, he grew, his Neshama was exercising all day, every day, bigger and bigger, and he's a huge towering giant. We see with very physical eyes, we see the body, and we see behaviors, we don't see the Neshama, we don't see challenges. 
And when you understand this, you understand life on a much more fundamental, much more basic level. But there's one more step I want to share with you. Many people find themselves with a deep inner sense of dissatisfaction. I don't know, I, you know, life is okay, you know, I have a family, and I have a job, and I'm, I guess I'm learning, I'm done, but like, I don't know, there's something missing, something lacking. It's almost like I, I don't know, but I, it's something should be different. I would like you to understand that that is a completely rational, normal, appropriate sense that every human being should have. Why? Because I was put into this world for a purpose that I cannot accomplish. I was put here to change the essence of me. That's the Neshama's main function. And the Neshama's main job is to change the person, but he can't do it. Do you know what it's like being given a job that you can't do? You're given a jo job to dig ditches, but you can't dig ditches. And you're given a job to fill cement bags, and you can't lift them. It's very frustrating, very uncomfortable, and it leaves you with a deep inner sense of yuck. And in that sense, if you feel a sense of almost despondency, it's correct, it's normal, it's rational, it's part of the reality of life. However, it should be tempered with a very real sense of wow. But at the end of the day, I know that I'm changing. Maybe in small little levels, maybe in tiny degrees, maybe only incrementally, but I'm changing, I'm growing. And when I put my head on that pillow at night, my neshama leaves and goes up and says, that a boy, you grew, you changed. But look, you're going to go back to that same body, that same bare body, you're going to do the same stupid things. It doesn't matter. I fought the fight. I became bigger, I became greater. And when you wake up in the morning, there's still a sense of, wow, I changed, I grew, and I can do, and both emotions are going to be there. A sense of despondency, why can't I change? What am I doing wrong? I should be much bigger, much greater. And that's correct. Because the shaman has a need to change the goof. At the same time, there's an inner sense of satisfaction and a deep joy because I know on some level I'm changing, I'm growing. I won't realize it here. As long as I'm alive, I'll be in this state. And when my body's put in the ground, the body stops bothering me, it stops interfering, and whoosh! I become that great person and that great person I aspire to, that great person I work to, and that's who I am for eternity.